For those who don't know me, my name is Clint. I am one of the interns here at Beach Church. Um, and today I have the, the privilege and the honor to uh, preach a message to you. But before I jump into that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. That way I'm not just some random guy uh, speaking on stage. And hopefully maybe you can relate to me a little bit more. Uh, so I was born and raised in South Florida, a small city called Jensen Beach, uh, where a bunch of retired New Yorkers go to live. And uh, grew up there, uh, played baseball my whole life. Ever since I was uh, three years old, I remember walking around with a little foam baseball bat. And uh, I, I love sports, but baseball was my passion. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. I lived and breathed it. And so I had plans to go to college to play and eventually MLB, which all got cut short my senior year of high school due to an injury. Uh, I have an older brother and older sister, uh, that, that beautiful family right there. Um, my sister recently got married. I had the opportunity to officiate her wedding, which is an incredible experience. Um, and then uh, after high school, I, I uh, moved to Virginia to go to college at Liberty University, where I double majored in youth ministry and marketing. Uh, after that, I moved to Missouri for six months, uh, which is a terrible state, if you're wondering. Don't ever move to Missouri. Um, it's flat and cold, but I, I lived there for six months, uh, interning at a boarding school for at-risk teens, um, and then after that, I moved back down to South Florida, uh, back home to uh, intern or to work at a, a church on staff as a, a student pastor for a small student ministry, and I uh, spent about eight months there uh, before I realized I, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't feel qualified, and uh, I, need to, I need to figure some things out before I uh, continue on this career path. And so I moved up to St. Augustine to live with my cousin and work for my cousin uh, doing pool maintenance. And so I'm a pool boy uh, on, on the day, day job. And so that's what I do to make money, to pay the bills. Um, and then uh, the most important thing uh, you need to know about me is that I recently got engaged uh, to my best friend. Her name is Emily. And uh, yeah, she can all say aw. And uh, she is... She is one of the most selfless and gracious people I've ever met, and I get to, to marry her in just under a year, and I'm extremely excited. Uh, she's a nurse in North Carolina, so we're doing a long-distance thing for right now. It stinks. Um, but, but more other than that, uh, or we're continuing on in, in our non-series series, as I've been calling it, and it's basically just us taking kind of like a six-week span of, of pursuing and chasing after God and what He uh, has to teach us, and, and, and in turn will teach you. And so uh, two weeks ago, you heard Ryan preach uh, on how we listen to God and how we hear from God. And so that's what we're doing as leaders, is we're pressing into what God uh, has to say to us and listening to the Holy Spirit. And, and, to, and when Ryan gave me the date of, of when I would be preaching, I, I, that's what I did, is I, I listened to God and listened for His voice, and I felt like He was... Uh, he was telling me that I can finally preach a message that's been on my heart for about five years now, which was birthed out of some pain. And so the, the title of today's message is Purpose Behind the Pain, uh, because that's, that's where I believe uh, is that we all experience pain. Like we all go through trials and tribulations in life. We all experience uh, something of that nature and all walk through it. And so I believe that there's a purpose behind it. And so uh, five years ago, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um, and, and so you can look at this face and realize that there is hope for you too. Um, gosh, no one gets that joke. Not even first service. All right. Um, and, and so for like two to three weeks or maybe even a month before, before this, before I went to the ER, uh, I, I experienced 
a, a lot of pain, a lot of struggle in my life. Like, I felt robbed of all joy and happiness at this time. Uh, I went through this period where I lost about 20 pounds in a matter of, of like two weeks. I was stepped on the scale at the gym with my roommate, and I was 156 pounds, and I'm still as tall as I am today. And like, that's skinny. Like, I was losing a, a lot of weight, and I didn't know why. And so me and my roommate had the smart idea, let's go to the dining hall at college and just stuff our faces because it's a buffet. And so that's what I did, and I ate all the cookies and pasta that you can think of. And if you know anything about type 1 diabetes, the, the more carbohydrates you eat, the more sugar you eat, the higher blood sugar goes uh, without insulin. And so um, I was digging myself and slowly killing myself, and I didn't even realize it. Uh, and, and at night, like, you ever fall asleep at night, and uh, like, you, you fall asleep with your mouth open, you wake up in the morning, and it's just, like, disgusting and, like, dry? Uh, I felt like that, like, every morning I wake, would wake up like that, but it was, like, ten times worse uh, it felt like my tongue was like sandpaper when I wake up in the morning. Um, I would get calf, calf cramps every night. I was falling asleep in all my classes. Uh, my eyes were getting blurry. I was like, what is going on? And so I go back to my dorm one day. I call my mom up, who's a nurse. I was like, mom, like something's wrong with me. Like my, my belt isn't even holding my pants up anymore. And for some reason, that was, a, that was the sign to, to go get blood work done. <laughs> um, and so uh, I go get blood work done at the clinic on college, at the college campus. And, uh, it, and that night, I'm, I'm falling asleep, it's midnight, and I get a call from a random number. I'm like, who, like, it's probably a sales call. Like, who's calling me at midnight? Um, uh, so I don't answer it. They call back again, still don't answer it, because I don't know who they are. Uh, they leave a voicemail. So I listen to the voicemail laying down in bed. And uh, the voicemail says, uh, Clint, this is Dr. So-and-so. Uh, we received some alarming news about your blood work. Please give me a call back as soon as possible. And so I'm like, what the heck is going on? Uh, I wake up. I get, crawl out of bed, give this guy a call back. And uh, basically he tells me that my blood sugar is at 750. Uh, the normal range for blood sugar is between 70 and 120. And what that means is I was in uh, what's called a DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, and I was... I was slowly dying, essentially. Like, my body was, was uh, breaking down. And uh, so uh, he tells me to go to the ER uh, that night, and I'm like, just can't wait till morning. Like, I'm exhausted. And uh, he's, like, he's like, if you fall asleep with your blood sugar being that high, you could end up in a coma. And so uh, I wake my roommate, roommate up. <clears throat> he drives me to the hospital. Uh, when it's all said and done, I spent two nights in the ICU, another night on a different floor. And so three nights in the hospital, I walk out. And my whole life uh, changes. Like, I have to, to look at life in a different perspective. I have to, you know, take up this, this new disease that I'll have for the rest of my life, which I don't know how it happened. I don't know uh, why I got it. I don't know uh, if there's ever going to be a cure for it. Like, like doctors don't know uh, why, like, this happened to me. There's no explanation behind it. And so what I'm talking about today is, like, we walk through these things. Like, you experience some of those things, you will experience some of those things in life if you haven't already. We walk through these things, but there's a purpose behind them. And so if I could give you like my sermon in a sentence, it's this, uh, what you're walking through today, the the pain that you're facing today is the catalyst for your tomorrow. And so uh, we're going to jump in into the first point, which is uh, pain is meant for for character development. And and Paul, Paul who writes uh, probably about half the New Testament, and has probably experienced more pain than any of us can imagine, uh, writes, writes the book of Romans. And he writes this book to uh, a people group who are, are Christians living in a society where, like, they persecute Christians. And so, like, 
Christians are literally being burned alive. And so he's writing to them and saying, like, you're going to face some pain, but it's meant to build you up. And Paul, a little backstory on Paul, Paul used to be called Saul. And, and Saul used to kill Christians. Like, he was zealous and passionate about his uh, Judaic faith. And, and as he was traveling, he came across God. Like, God interrupted his life, blinded him, knocked him on his butt, and, and told Paul, like, like, I'm real. Like, who, who you're persecuting is my son. And so Paul, realizing, like, what he had done, like, his name got changed to Paul. And, and so he became one of the most obedient Christians, like a super Christian. And he became uh, a missionary and went on all these missionary, missionary journeys uh, throughout different countries and cities, uh, planning churches. And so he writes uh, the book of Romans to, to Christians in, in uh, Rome at the time. And in Romans 5, 3 to 5, he says, uh, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And, and I said that, that Paul probably experienced more pain than any of us can imagine. And in 2 Corinthians, he actually gives a list of everything that he's experienced. He says, he has been in prison more frequently and been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. And you skip down a few verses and he says, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And, and so Paul writes this, and at the same time he's saying it's meant for character. It's meant to build character within you. And so uh, for the first year after being diagnosed with diabetes, uh, I, I kind of complained a lot. Like I, I, you don't know how many times I put my face in my rug and just cried out to God, like, like, why? like why me? And, and some of you might not understand kind of the... the the painful moments that come along with being a diabetic and how it changes your mood depending on what your blood sugar is. Like, I had to give myself six shots a day and, and prick my finger constantly and, like, all these things. Now I have, like, devices attached to my body. I'm like, I'm, I can't ever even look at food, like, the way you guys do anymore. It's just different. But, but it built character within me. It made me become resilient to, disease, to a disease that I'll have for the rest of my life. It, it built... Uh, strength within me. It made me stronger physically and mentally and emotionally. It made me tougher. It built character within me. You see, most, most every Christian wants to develop character and have this hope that Paul speaks of. But as Paul's saying, like, the only way we get that is through endurance and perseverance. And the only way you can endure and persevere through something is if you have pain in your life. Like, if everything is sunshine and rainbows and smells like roses... Like, you don't have to endure through, every, through anything because it's all good. So pain produces character development. The second thing is uh, pain is meant for course correction. Uh, so after that, that list I gave you in 2 Corinthians 11, when Paul lists all these things he's gone through, all these uh, persecutions after he's been pelted with stones and, and shipwrecked and all these things, in 2 Corinthians 12, he goes on and he writes that he has a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know, like, what this is. He just... It could be some sort of anxiety he had or a physical ailment. He just says he's a thorn in his flesh. And he says that he pleaded with God three times that God would take it away. And God's response wasn't 
okay, Paul, like you've been so obedient to me. You've, you've shared the gospel and planted churches. Let me take this from you. God's response was, oh, Paul, like my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And, and so Paul's response to that is, okay, like I'll boast more about my weaknesses then and less of my strength, less of my strengths. He realized that this thorn in his flesh was meant to keep him from becoming conceited. It kept him from becoming prideful. It kept him on a course of, of humility and a course of obedience to God. You see, Paul had, Paul, if, if anyone could boast of their faith and boast about the things they've done, it would be Paul. Because uh, we have a story in Acts where it says that Paul was bitten by a venomous snake on an island one day. And, and Paul's response to this was to like, shake it off his hand into a fire. But there's other people around him watching. And, and the people watching were like, surely this guy's going to die. Like, surely he did something wrong to deserve this, and so he's going to die now because of this venomous stake. But, but, like, the story goes on, and time goes on, and Paul is perfectly fine. Like, he doesn't swell up. Nothing happens to him. And so the people's response changes, and the response is, Paul, like, you must be a god now. Like, if, if you didn't die, like, you must be a god if you can do this. And so Paul could have been like, yes, like I'm a God. I have this, I'm a super Christian. Like I'm, I have all this faith and I've done all these things. I've been to all these places, but the thorn in his flesh kept him from becoming conceited. It kept him humble. And so uh, with type one diabetes and me, it kept me humble. It re- made me realize that like, I'm still human. It made me rely more on God. It set me on a path of, of humility and a, and a path of continually pursuing God. And so uh, the pain that you walk through is meant for course correction. It's meant to either keep you on the right path or to help you change paths. Uh, and, and lastly, the, the third point I have is uh, uh, pain allows you to, to trust the process. Uh, because with all of these things, there is a process that takes place, and that process leads to a purpose. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, you might know of the, name, of the guy named David. Uh, David uh, was one of the most prominent people in the Old Testament. Like, he became a king at one point, uh, but before he became king, he was a, a young shepherd boy. Like, he, was a, he was in a humble position. Like, he herded sheep as a, as a, like a 12-year-old. But, but God had his hand on, on David's life. And God had, had anointed David to eventually become king one day. And so the king at the time was King Saul. And David got to a point where he was playing music for King Saul. And every time David played music, King Saul would feel at peace. And so David got favor from King Saul. Like he received favor from him. And the story goes on. I mean, you uh, might know the story of David and Goliath. And how this young shepherd boy who is small in stature and is kind of a nobody at the time, goes on and slings a stone at one of the, the largest men on earth and, and kills him. Like, kills the, this, this giant, this uh, Philistine that, that the Israel army didn't even want to face at all. And so people began looking at David. David gained popularity through this. And because of that, King Saul became jealous. And King, King Saul's response was uh, to kill David or at least to try to kill David, to, to basically hunt him, hunt him and, and have people planted around the country that would uh, basically spy on David and keep an eye out for him. And so David spent uh, many, much time like running from city to city, hiding out in caves. 
and, and word got out that like David was running from the king, and apparently at this time, like a lot of people, like like a lot, the king saw wanted a lot of people dead, and so uh, these people might have owed all like money or owed him just a favor, or maybe they committed a small crime. But word gets out, and, and these people join David in running from city to city and hiding out in caves. And before you know it, like. David realizes that he has 400 to 600 people standing in front of him in this cave. And these people are looking at David to be his little ringleader, or to be the, like the ringleader of their little group. And so David leads these people from city to city and from cave to cave hiding out. And it was this moment, this process that was taking place that was preparing David to lead the nation, to be king one day. And so there's a process that takes place in each of us. There's a process through the pain that leads us to a purpose. Like, like hiding out in a cave, like that's not fun. Like it's cold and dark, and we're not going to see God there. But it allows you to press into God. The, the cave isn't fun. It's not enjoyable. We don't like it. But it, the cave prepares you for, for the stage. Like it prepares you to lead. It prepares you for the purpose. And so embrace the cave. Embrace those moments where it's cold and it's dark and it doesn't feel good. Embrace the moments where you don't see God around you. Uh, take this, for example. Uh, many of us try to kind of build our own house, so to speak. Like, we, we, we try to build our own lives. We try to build our own house. But we miss the crucial elements that make a house livable. Right? Like, in order to make a house livable, you have to have, like, electricity and plumbing and all these things. All the things you don't see behind the walls. And so we miss those things. And what God has to do is God has to come in and tear down some walls of our lives. And he has to to put in those crucial elements. He has to take us through a process that is going to make our house livable again. And so embrace those moments where it feels like you're just getting a wall ripped out of your life. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. But it's a process. And a process leads you to a purpose. I heard someone say once that, uh, the process is more important than the product because the process determines the outcome of the product. It determines the value of the product. Like the only way you can get the purest gold is to stick it in a fire. It brings out the impurities in it. And so maybe that's what God is doing through the pain in your life is he's bringing out some of the impurities. He's bringing out the things that don't need to be there. Uh, I, I stole a metaphor from Levi Lusco, who's a popular uh, pastor, uh, many national parks, some national parks, have adopted a let it burn uh, policy. And, w- and what I mean by that is uh, when, when they have a fire, like many of us think like fire bad, must, it has to go out, right? Uh, but they, they, instead, they let it burn. Anything that is, any fire that is formed naturally, they let it burn until it gets to a certain point around like civilization or a structure. And, the, and their thought process behind it was that they saw that the fire actually provided new growth. It kind of resets plant life to zero. Like when you have these big uh, forests and these big trees that produce all these, all this shade, like the shade keeps the, the small bushes, the small plants that uh, produce berries and fruits for animals to eat, it keeps them from growing. Like the more shade you have, the less fruit production. The more shade you have in your life, the less fruit production you're going to have. And so what fire does, fire comes through, burns everything down, and, and it creates a darker soil which attracts warmth, and that warmth is needed for new growth. And it pokes holes in the canopy of the bigger trees, and it lets light in. 
You see, the fire that you're going through pokes holes in some of the things and it allows God's light to shine through. The fire you're going through lets God's light shine into your life. All right? And so uh, there is a process taking place. It's a fire. We don't like it. It seems harmful. It seems terrible. But it's going to, to set you up for, for new growth. Uh, Inky Johnson, I, I, I read about this guy, Inky Johnson. Inky Johnson grew up in a, in a two-bedroom home with 14 people. He grew up on a street that uh, was, had a drug dealer in every corner, was violence every night. Uh, Inky Johnson uh, saw this happening around him. Like he, he's, he slept on a bed one day a week. And when he did get a chance to sleep on a bed, there was five other people on the bed with him. Like a, a life that wasn't or didn't seem enjoyable. And so Inky Johnson uh, saw this life he had and he wanted to change it. And so he, from a, from a young age, from seven, eight years old, he devoted his life to the game of football because he saw a way out. He saw that if he could just make it to the NFL and become a multimillionaire, then he could uh, provide for his family. He could get his mom out of that house, out of that street, and, and she wouldn't have to work a day in her life. He could help his cousins out. He could help his dad out. And so from seven years old, uh, he would go to his cousin and he would say, hey man, like we got to run light pole to light pole every night so that we can make it to the NFL one day. And so that's what he did at, at, at a very young age. And his mom would come pick him up at 1030 at night and he'd tell his mom to go wait in the car because he has to run some more so that he can make it to the NFL so that she doesn't have to work anymore. And so uh, the story goes on and he, he plays well through high school and he eventually gets a full ride scholarship to the University of Tennessee. And, and when he goes and visits the University of Tennessee, the, the college puts him up in a Marriott hotel, and he said that was the first time he ever slept in a bed by himself, probably at 18 years old. And so he plays his freshman and sophomore year there, and he does well. And he's going into his junior year. He's played a couple games, and he's sitting down watching film in one of the classrooms. And his coach comes in, and he tells him, uh, Inky, there's some good news for you. Like, like, you're projected to be in the top 30 draft pick of the NFL draft this year. Like, all you have to do is make it through the next 10 games, and, and you're an instant multimillionaire. Like, he had the papers, signed at the top NFL. Like, guaranteed going to the NFL. And on that next game, he was playing against Air Force, and he was a cornerback, and, and so he was on defense, and, and he goes in for a tackle, and he tackles this guy, and instantly, he said his whole body felt limp, and that he couldn't move. And and he had to be rushed to the emergency room where they would perform emergency surgery because he ruptured an artery in his chest and he was bleeding internally. And, and the doctors managed to save his life, but they said, like, Inky, there's some bad news. Uh, there's some nerve damage in your right arm and you won't be able to ever move or feel that arm again. And so in a moment, everything he worked for since he was seven years old was gone. What looked like, like God had everything set up and everything going well it was gone in an instant. And something he had to ask himself was, can he stay true to his faith? Can he trust the plan that he does not see? Can he trust the plan that God has and he doesn't? And so because of this, Yankee stays true to his faith amidst the pain and the suffering. And it, eventually his dad would come to know Christ because his dad saw the faith that, that Yankee had. Yankee was living out a sermon he wasn't just preaching it. And so also his teammates accepted Christ too. And so if you were to ask Inky Johnson if he could go back and change that day, he'd be like, no, like 
there is something so much more important here. There is like eternity on the line. And so I would ask you the same question is, will you stay true to your faith amidst the pain and suffering? Will you stay true? Will you be able to stand and say that God is still good? Like, I've experienced all this crap in my life, but, uh, but I'm, I can stand and say God is still good. And so, uh, like, when you get that phone call that says, hey, like, we don't have good news. Like, your blood work isn't showing something positive. Or, or when you see your parents get a divorce or you, you have a relationship that falls apart or a friendship that falls apart or you see a family member going through something, Will you be able to stand, stay true to your faith and stay true to who God is? Because God had a plan that would carry Inky for the rest of his life. He's now a motivational speaker. I'm sure he makes good money, provides for his family. But to carry him for the rest of his life. It was a plan that, that, that Inky didn't have for himself. It was a plan that he didn't see. And so there's, there's a process taking place in each of us that we don't really see right now. But I believe that God is doing work in you and is preparing you for a specific calling and a specific perfect purpose. And so you have to stand there and ask yourself, like, what is that? Like, what is God preparing me for? And so, uh, here, again, I don't want to undermine the pain that you've walked through. Like, I guarantee that there is some of you in this room that have walked through, walked through more pain than I will ever experience in my life, walked through more pain than I can ever imagine. Like, I'm sorry you're going through that. But it's okay to hurt. Because hurting with hope still hurts. But here's the thing. You have the opportunity to share that hope with someone else. Because like, you can relate to other people who are experiencing that same pain. And so take that hope and share it with someone. Like start with that. And so here's how we're going to end this thing. Is we're going to have uh, leaders up at each corner of the, of the front. And you can just come up to them and ask them to pray for you. Because I believe that, that when you're vulnerable... God does his, his greatest work in that moment. And when you, uh, when you receive prayer for that, like you will begin seeing the process that is taking place and the purpose that God is preparing you for. All right? Again, hurting with hope still hurts. It's okay to experience pain. But I believe that God's going to do something incredible through your vulnerability. So God, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for your son on the cross and the purpose that you have for us. We pray that you would take this moment and and use it for your glory and allow us to see uh, what it is you're preparing us for. In Jesus' name, amen.